Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a midweek celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. I don't care who you are. We love this day. We just carpe diem all over this place, baby, is what we're all about. Welcome into it. We have a lot to talk about today. It's been a crazy wild day. I love it. I enjoy it. And man, I tell you, there's another day of shenanigans out of Washington, D.C. At what point did we finally say, we're not going to deal with this crap anymore, man? We're not going to deal with it. We got a lineup here for you. Larry, at the bottom of the hour, we have Larry Behrens. He is, he's been on the program before. We'll talk about energy prices, utilities. How have your electric bills been the last couple weeks or month with the extreme heat across the region and across the country? We'll talk about that, what we could see during the wintertime with your prices. Also, gas prices continue to climb while the Biden administration tells us that you're just a bunch of lazy jerks who don't want to work in the extreme hot, and that's why production's down across the nation. <laughs> yeah. What's the real reason? So we'll get behind that here in just a little bit. Also, man, did you see Mitch McConnell having another episode? It's time to go, man. It's time to be done. Mitch McConnell just a day or so ago doing another Q&A and just freeze it up for a worse period than what we saw last time. Hard time here. That's okay. What are your Senator, you're up for election in three short years. What are your thoughts on it? I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. Eh? Okay. What are your what? thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Oh, oh okay. Here it is again. Right. Let's see. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. Did you hear Seven, the question, Senator? Eight, running for re-election nine, in 2026? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, All right, I'm sorry, 16, y'all. We're going to need a minute. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Oh, it's still going. That's 30 seconds right there. What? Okay. What? Okay. And then they continue. Well, that's all right. Somebody else have a question? Please speak up. <laughs> that was the reason. That's why That's why he had a 30 seconds in gap right there. He didn't hear the question. Speak up so we can actually hear you. Come on, man. That's where we're at today. That is the minority leader. That is the head of the Senate for the Republican Party. That's the one fighting off the liberal progressive agenda. That's the one that's supposed to be giving us the grand ideas to promote conservatism and win in the Senate in a very close how in a, a close chamber within a couple of seats where we could win over, you know, a couple from the other side, we could promote our agenda, work closely with Kevin McCarthy on the House side. That's our grand leader. Another 30-second freeze, just blanking out, whether it's a seizure, whether it's a stroke, whether it's just old age, whatever it is, it's time to go, man. We got a lot to talk about. Let's get into our what's trending of the day, shall we? What's trending today? I want to shift gears a little bit from that because on the other side, I guess this goes into the elder abuse or something, but uh, the the establishment, the progressives in Washington, D.C., there's a line between what they promote and what's actually good for humanity because they always tell us they're there to better ourselves, they're the, there to better our world, to better humanity. 
They're the progressives. They're progressing society and moving them forward. But yet, is that really the case? I don't really see it because it seems like everything they're doing is degressing and de-evolving society back to the times where we want the Stone Age, which I'm totally cool with the Stone Age, but be careful what you ask for because uh, you're not going to like it very much. You're not going to be able to get your avocado latte if you want to go back to the Stone Age. To talk about some of this and more, excited to have on the program. He's the Shillman Fellow for the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's also host of the podcast, The Right Take with Mark Tapson. It's Mark on the line with us here. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, excited to have you on the program. It's wild to where we hear the other side of the aisle tell us, well, what we're doing is uh, for your own good. We know better than you. We know better about what you need. That's why we need to contain how much CO2 you can put out. That's why we can tell you how far you should be able to drive. That's why we tell you what you should be able to eat. We know better than you, but yet... All their agenda, everything that they promote, they don't really give us any options, and it seems to be worse off for us, isn't it? Absolutely right. You know, I used to be a Democrat many years ago when I didn't care about politics, I didn't want to think about politics, and I I lived in a liberal bubble and just absorbed everybody else's opinions. I literally knew no conservatives. Uh, and But when I started waking up to politics, one of the very first things that I noticed was that uh, that nothing that the Democrats or the left promote ever works. I mean, nothing ever actually works in the real world. I mean, just ideology aside, their, uh, their programs and policies simply do not make people's lives better. But, but the, another thing that I noticed, and the bigger issue here, is that the left has a very utopian mentality, uh, which is one of the things that separates left from right. I think the right really understands about human beings that we're fallen and sinful beings and that we can always try to improve ourselves, but we can never be perfect and we could certainly never uh, fashion on our own a, a utopia or perfect society here on Earth. But the left doesn't believe that at all. The left is completely utopian-minded, and they're hell-bent, literally, on, um, on steering humanity toward this utopian dream that they have. You know, we can eliminate racism. We can eliminate poverty. We can uh, eliminate bigotry. We can uh, make everything and everyone equal. And the problem with utopian visions, utopian dreams like this, is that they very quickly become dystopian nightmares. And you can see this play out over and over again throughout history in various parts of the world, wherever totalitarians of the left try to uh, coerce people to behave the way they need to behave to create this perfect society. And that's that's one of the problems with, uh, you know, utopianism is that very quickly, when you try to socially engineer a perfect society, you have to resort to coercion because yeah. people, uh, people, you know, uh, have to be steered in the right direction, the direction that, you know, these elites know we should be going in. Um, they, you know, these intellectual elites of the left who populate the regime, they think they know better than human beings, you know, than us commoners, what we want and need. And so uh, they have to to convince us or coerce us, really. And so very quickly things go go wrong in a big way. Yeah, it is unfortunate. But to them, they justify it by thinking the ends justify the means, right? They have an agenda, and they know society would be better. I mean, we hear today 
with like the Bernie Sanders supporters, for example, to where, well, socialism, even though it's killed millions of people worldwide throughout <laughs> history while we've tried it over and over again, it's just because we haven't gone far enough. If we just have a purer form of socialism, if we go just that next step further, then all of a sudden we'll break through the veil and then everything will run happy hunky-dory and everybody will live happily and sing kumbaya. If we just go that step further, it just hasn't been done properly and has gone far enough. That's their justification. So whatever violence, whatever horrible acts that lead up to that point, the ends justify that means because the end of it, it'll be so much better, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they like to think of humanity in very abstract terms. You know, they like to say, we're the party of the people, uh, you know, the power to the people, uh, the People's Republic of China, the People's Republic of North Korea, and so on. They like to think about humanity as this kind of uh, uh, um, giant sort of block, um, this mass of humanity, but they don't realize that mass of humanity is constituted by millions upon millions of individuals, you know, with their own wants and desires and needs and personalities. Uh, and th- and that's that's very uncomfortable for the left. They don't like to have to deal with people on the level of reality. They want to be able to uh, just think of people in abstract terms. Yeah. And so that's why I say I wrote an article not too long ago called uh, The Left Loves Humanity But Hates People, because they love the abstract idea of the people. But when it comes to dealing with actual individuals, um, you know, then, the, as you put it, the end justifies the means. The, you know, to save humanity, which is what they think they're doing, um, then they believe, well, some people are just simply going to have to be collateral damage. And, uh, you know, if, if, if one person or 10 or 100 or a million people uh, have to suffer or die, um, that's just collateral damage because in the end we're going to create a perfect society for everyone else. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I, I loved your piece here, The Left Loves Humanity But Hates People, which you can find online at frontpagemaggot.com for the Front Page Magazine. I always try to describe the progressives as uh, two tiers or two levels where you have the elites that know what's going on. They know the agenda. They know the power they will consume and what that end will look like, which is nothing what they portray with the agenda and with the PR stunt that try and win over the people. But they do it anyways because they're the ones that get the centralized power at the end of the day. Then you have the ground workers, the boots on the ground, the grassroots, where they truly believe in the agenda, thinking it will be beneficial at the end of the day. Is that a good summation between kind of what's going on here? Yes, I think so. And the boots on the ground people, you know, those those are the radical activists um, who will, they're kind of the shock troops (laughs) for the, uh, you know, the, the elitists at the top. Um, and these are, they're like religious fanatics. They're, they're just as fanatical as any, you know, Islamic fundamentalist or whatever kind of fanatic you want to use as an example. Uh, they, they fully believe that what they're doing is, is moral and that they're morally superior to their political enemies and therefore anything is justified. And so, um, you know, so you, you end up getting a lot of political violence almost always from the left. I mean, when do you ever hear political violence from the right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's because these these people believe in creating heaven on earth. They're they're uh, you know they may be atheists, but their religion is social justice activism. That is very true. Uh, I I always love to reference the study as well that as government grows, the faith in a society, people believing in a higher power, continues to dwindle because. Like you said, we uh, we continuously look for 
the government to solve something. Now, depending on mm-hmm. your flavor of religion, whether it's you know looking for God to solve the issue or God giving you the power to be able to solve it yourself and finding that strength within, however you look at that stuff on a theological level, uh, on the political level here, is it true that as the size of government grows that we just continue to dwindle with that faith of a higher power because we think that the government is now the new entity that's controlling and taking care of us. Oh, absolutely right. I mean, um, government becomes God. The state becomes God under totalitarianism. And this is one of the reasons that totalitarians uh, try to squeeze religion out of the public square and then ultimately out of the private sphere as well, because uh, religion offers people a higher power, and the state can't abide that. You know, the state has to be the higher power. Uh, So, uh, you know, everywhere that you have a totalitarian agenda underway, you see see people of faith being marginalized and uh, first subjected to what some writers like Rodrigo call a soft totalitarianism, and then ultimately it goes to the hard totalitarianism where, you know, you... you, uh, you know, the secret police will come in the middle of the night and take you away if you attend church or if you're found with a Bible in your home uh, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, you know, religion absolutely is a is seen by the state as competition. Yeah, we're talking with Mark Tapson. He is with the David Horowitz Freedom Center, also a host of the podcast, The Right Take with Mark Tapson. You can find his writings, especially this one, The Left Loves Humanity But Hates People, on the website at frontpagemag.com. Uh, Mark, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over another segment with us? Sure. Awesome. I love the conversation. I want to continue this because I want to ask when we come back is, what is the focal point, the main topic, the main issue that they're driving home to create this quote-unquote utopian society that they want? Is it the environmental issues? Is it the identity politics and the gender issue and the social issues? Is it abortion? What front are they really trying to focus on to make all of this happen so we can continue to push back and preserve what we have in this nation? Lots more coming up. It's a midweek for The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into it. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, multiple radio stations all over the place, which we always love you to death. Thanks for hanging out as usual. The lack of humanity on the left side of the aisle while saying they're creating a society for humanity, man. But yet, the humanity doesn't seem to be in the equation as they continue to promote their agenda because more people get harmed than actually get helped. I mean, we have the eco attack, the environmentalism right now to where we, hey, we should all get EV cars and then, oh, the electric grid's being strained. You shouldn't plug in your EV cars. Oh, sorry. Then we have the gender issue with schools where, well, we're going to confuse our kids even more than what they already are at a very vital point in their life in middle school when they're going through all their changes. We have the attack on athletes right now. We have the attack, of course, if uh, you don't speak the right way, then you're not really the... Uh, race that you supposedly are. There's the latest attack on the presidential candidate of Vivek Ramaswamy saying, according to the Democrats, that he doesn't talk like a brown person, therefore he's not a true brown person. We had Joe Biden tell, if you remember, uh, what the heck was that that guy's name that did the podcast that said that if uh, you don't vote, if you don't know who to vote for between me or Trump, then you're not black. Like, come on, man. That's 
that's what we're at. The identity politics, the racial issue, the gender issue, the sexual issue, the environmental issue, they're attacking on all different fronts in this idea to change us to a beautiful socialist utopian society where everybody gets along and we sing kumbaya. Mark, out of all these issues, or maybe it's a multi-tiered attack here, in your opinion, which one of these are they really trying to focus in on by creating this new socialist environment? That's a really good question, and I do think it's a multi-pronged attack. As you said, it, you know, they're attacking on all these different fronts, and I think the Great Green Reset movement you know, is, is a very serious threat, but I do believe that the tip of the spear of the left's agenda is gender ideology. Uh, I think you could see that probably the fiercest cultural battles that are taking place around the country now have to do with this whole transgender revolution and the notions uh, of multiple genders and uh, drive and teacher activists and school administrators trying to drive a wedge between children and their parents. Um, all of this is connected to, I think, it goes all the way back to Marx and maybe a little bit beyond, but, but definitely goes back to Karl Marx's call for the abolition of the family. And the reason Marx wanted to abolish the family is because it was a threat to the state's power. That's why he wanted a collectivist society, um, because, you know, the, the unit uh, of the nuclear family and the bonds that that produces among people, um, the state can't abide that those kinds of loyalties. You have to break those apart, break up those bonds, yeah. and raise children in a quote-unquote collectivist society. And uh, that grants the state more power. Uh, and so that's ultimately what is, what's going on here, is that driving a wedge between children and their parents, um, trying to sexualize children at an early age and inculcate in them this, this consciousness about their own sexuality and a confusion about their gender and trying to um, uh, introduce all kinds of sexual practices to kids as young as kindergartners. Um, <clears throat> all of this has to do with breaking down the bonds of the family. And then you connect that with our cultural elite's unwillingness today to even define the word woman, and you get a whole other layer of it, which is that, that you know they're trying to break down our very definitions of gender, definition of man and of woman and of children, you know, and once you break those definitions down so that they're kind of meaningless, yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, the word father doesn't have any power or meaning anymore, or the word mother or daughter or son or grandmother, you know, well, which you is why, erratic, yeah, well, which is why are, now we're yeah. seeing the, uh, the chest feeders and uh, the birthers yeah. instead of actually a mother and breastfeeding, which is uh, again, just boggles my mind how we've gotten to that point. Mark, we're out of time, my friend. We've got to take our bottom-of-the-hour break, but it's so good to talk to you. I love this topic because we have to be able to push back on this stuff. Uh, but, Mark, let's get yeah. you back on the show again real soon, my friend. Sounds good to me. Thank you. Hey, absolutely. It's Mark Tapson. Again, you can go check out his podcast, which is The Right Take with Mark Tapson. Also find his writings on frontpagemag.com. When we come back, we'll do some more of this right around the corner. Stay here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is your home for truth, reason, common sense, rationale, you know, normal conversations that we like to have. I was <laughs> over the break, I was listening to our local 
weather report here out of the Wichita area where our flagship radio station is. Now, obviously, we have radio stations outside of Kansas all over the place as well, but listening to it here, it's still in the mid-90s, which, ugh. At least it's not triple digits anymore like we saw for an entire two weeks straight, which drove me nuts, especially for a guy with no AC in his vehicle. But nonetheless, uh, it was, uh, it's been hot, and I don't like it. I'm ready. I'm, I've told you this before. I am ready for the negative 20 degree weather where I can go outside in my shorts and t-shirt and go and meditate outside in the 20 degrees below zero. And that makes me very happy. I swear, I just need to move to Alaska. Can I do that? Good golly. As we wrapped up with Mark, uh, Mark Tapson, we appreciate him uh, for the last half hour with us talking about this new push for this new socialist utopian dream that the Democrats have and the progressive have. This is a focal point, which is the environment, the environmental push, the Green New Deal, trying to change everything to the EVs, trying to focus on, well, you're using too much gas, you're consuming too much, you're flatulating too much, you have too many cows, you're not allowed to use all this stuff, your pet's heads are falling off. If anybody gets that reference. That's what the world that we live in today with the progressives trying to demonize everything that you do, which is why we hear these conspiracies, and I use that in air quotes right now, about 15-minute cities. You should not have to live work or go get any of your resources in any place where you can't walk in more than 15 minutes to go to those areas. They want to build this. You really want to talk about that. We can talk about what's going on down in Hawaii as well. But I want to talk about that and where we're at and where we're going with the energy market moving forward with our latest and what's trending. What's trending today? I am excited to have back on the program. It's so good to have this guy on. We loved it the first time he came on a while ago. He's with the Power of the Future Energy Advocacy Group, also author of the book Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. It's Larry Barron's back on the line with us here. Larry, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Andy. Trying to stay cool. Yeah, yeah, trying. Trying. It's hard to. Thanks, global warming, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's all my fault. It's that gas stove. Yeah, it's that's right. It's that gas stove. You're not allowed to use the gas stove. Is it true that New York City, New York, is just getting rid of all gas stove and going completely electric? They are. They're doing one of those, you know, environmental two-steps, I like to, to say. They, they're they saying they're going to ban it, but they do it when the people who vote to ban it are already out of office. And so I think it's by uh, 2030 or 2035, they're saying all new construction. And so if you have one now, you'll get grandfathered in, uh, wink, wink, but it will be gone. Now, keep in mind, when they did the same thing in California, they said, oh, look at what we're going to do. And then they gave exceptions to, you know, really popular chefs so that they can continue cooking for elite folks. And so that is, uh, you know, one of the tenets of the climate cult is that the rules don't apply to the elite. Yeah. Well, that is the area where we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that's out there running things. And I mean, she's a smart cookie herself. I I am told this is a garbage disposal. So, I mean, (laughs) I I mean, those are the ones running that area. So I, I wouldn't put anything past them. What's going on in the energy market right now? We still see gas prices over four dollars for the average across the nation. I mean, even Wichita, Kansas, we're sitting at like 360, which angers me every time I have to pull up to a gas pump. But is this going to come down anytime soon? I wish I could say it's going to. The only thing that would probably help with that right now is if we all stopped driving, if the demand um, went down. But lo and behold, I know you do, and so many people have this addiction of that they have to go to work because their kids are addicted to food. And so I don't see it going down uh, that, that quickly at all. It's The fact of the matter is we could have more supply. We don't have more supply. And I know that the left is going to write their articles. In fact, they have written their articles. Look at America. We're the number one producer. Joe Biden is not that green, told you so. But we know that we have not produced as much oil as we did under the Trump administration. And we could be producing a whole lot more. But we have someone in Washington putting a stranglehold on our production. It really is that simple. 
It's that simple. Now, according to Corinne Jean-Pierre, she's told us numerous times throughout this last heat wave that we saw over the past couple of weeks that it's our fault because it's so hot. And this is I, I'll never forget the media report from CBS News that said this. It's so hot that it's actually our fault because the oil producers and the drillers didn't want to go and work in the extreme heat that could make them ill. So therefore, production went down because people didn't want to go outside and work in the heat. Is that true? I, I- <laughs> well, first of all, let's just let's. Just, I, I'm going to try to to. Uh, it's called voice of reason, so I'm going to try to bring my reason, just not laugh at her. <laughs> first of all, let's talk about where she likes oil. She likes oil from Saudi Arabia. I guess it never gets hot there. Uh, it's okay, I guess, in West Texas where it it tips out on triple digits a whole bunch of the deserts of West Texas. And so, oil and natural gas workers are fine. And I won't say they're fine; they do it for us, but they they can work in the heat. They always have. They always will. Here's the bottom line of it: the Biden administration will shut down any type of infrastructure that's talking about a refinery near you, a refinery near me, and then they'll say, oh, look, the refineries are down. Well, they know that they could expand that capacity so that we would have more readily available products that would then lower prices, but they never will. Instead, they're going to put $369 billion so that China gets rich off of sun panels and windmills, and they're not going to invest in the infrastructure that makes America really work. And so, yeah, they're really lying to you when they say, oh, it's just too hot oil and natural gas workers. So what, they're going to go to Saudi Arabia? It doesn't make any sense at all to anyone who thinks about it for more than two seconds, which is why the White House doesn't get it. Yeah, exactly. We're talking with Larry Behrens. He's author of the book Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. We saw it a couple of years ago during that extreme cold front, and now we're seeing it now with some of the extreme heat fronts, especially in Texas as well, where they've shut down coal plants, and then we see a strain on the electric grid to where I know at some point throughout this summer, I don't know if they still are or not, because of the triple digits down there. But at some point, they had less than 2% of their energy reserves in store still, hoping it wouldn't continue to where they would have to see brown and blackouts in the area because of how strained that electric grid was. But at the same time, they continue to not allow the opening of the coal plants to try and produce additional energy. At what point do we finally say, hey, we have this option right here that we should probably start up again that's very efficient and it's worked for a really long time. But no, we don't want to go do that because that's bad for the environment. Yeah, it's it's a great question. It speaks to that elitist point, right? There, there. Well, the White House will be fine. There's not going to be any brownouts at the White House, and any of the rich neighborhoods, the Richmond, north of Richmond, are going to have their power on just fine. It's those of us who are working families that are going to suffer through this. But it goes back to that infrastructure, and it goes back to the government saying that we have to use these unreliable sources of power in order to power our homes. They whine that the weather is crazy, and then they make us use it, you know our electric grid based on things that are dependent upon the weather. And, you know, I heard you talking about you're ready for the minus 20. Well, that'll be blamed on climate change, too, right? <laughs> Heat in the summer and, and you know, terrible cold in the winter is always going to be climate change. It's a really nice racket they've got going on where they don't have to show any leadership at all. We see that in Hawaii. We'll probably see that in a lot of places where, where things go bad. They can just say, oh, gosh, darn, I, you know, I know I'm the governor, but I can't do anything about it because, oh, shoot, climate change. It's their perfect boogeyman for everything, and they expect us to buy it because they are not doing what needs to be done to lower our prices and get us back to where we need to be and they think that we could you know forget that just three years ago everything was going fine yeah do you think more americans are starting to wake up to this i know the media loves the hysteria of again the record-breaking heat and we run all these constant news stories of stay out of the heat don't be out there for very long drink lots of water there's a rise in people getting sick from being outside for too long but yet we really haven't hit records uh, because we've seen in the past and like, oh, yeah, it was actually hotter than this day like 80 years ago or 100 years ago. So we didn't actually break any records, but it's just happening 
you know, for a longer period of time, for an extra day or two where it's in the triple digits. But do you think people are starting to realize, like, wow, they're really trying to protect me from myself and I can go outside and I'm not going to melt right away. And, oh, by the way, it's summertime. So, therefore, yeah, it's going to be hot outside. It's not climate change. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. People are waking up to that because they've been crying wolf for how long now? For 50 years? And they've been wrong. I mean, it is well documented, all the things that they said. I think there was one climate scientist I was reading who said in 1970 that we're going to disappear in blue steam. Yes, that human beings will be disappearing <laughs> in blue steam. And so when you hear rhetoric like that and you realize, I mean, of course, the oceans are boiling. You hear rhetoric like that that doesn't match the reality. I, you know, we had oppressive heat here last week in mid-Missouri as well. It was terrible. It was no fun whatsoever. And then the National Weather Service said, even with this week full of miserable heat, our August average temperature is still less than most August. And so, we, and, and they'll say it's climate change both ways, right? The long heat wave is climate change and your lower temperature is also climate change. And so I think that the cherry on top of this, this terrible salad that they're trying to feed us because their environmentalists, they always you know, feed you kale salad and try to put a cherry on top, is this week was Dr. Anthony Fauci. Yes, noted climate scientist, Dr. Anthony Fauci blamed climate change on hot days in Texas and, yes, on the Hawaii fires. And so the guy who was 100% right on lockdowns, masks, and everything else now yeah. feels that climate change is part of it. So I think every American should be worried, honestly. Well, I mean, if he says it, then it's got to be true. Because remember, when he said in the testimonies, he is science. So he, he right. doesn't agree with science or align with science. He is science. So if he says it, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> yeah, if you argue, literally, if you argue with him, you disagree with him, you disagree with science. And it, 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 I, I'm genuine when I say it worries me, because here's this guy who was in on a grift for a long time, and now he's looking for his next grift, and he's chosen, you know, the temperatures outside to do it. He's going to try to convince us that it's a terrible emergency. Wow. I did not realize that he started stepping into the environmental thing. So that's that's very interesting. We may have to do another countdown when he says a time frame on when we're all going to be underwater, just like we did with Al Gore, which that time frame is already passed and then the AOC which that time frame is already passed and then Greta Thunberg which that time frame is already passed so we need to reset the clock again for a uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci prediction on what the uh, time frame is for when we're actually all going to be underwater and all the polar ice caps will melt Larry we got to take a hard break here can you stick over another segment with us Absolutely. Uh, awesome. I love this conversation. I want to keep it going. When we come back, I want to talk about and shift gears over to Europe and with OPEC and their production, because as you said, we're groveling more with OPEC to try and get more of that oil production. So how much are they producing? And as they said that they're going to start cutting back on some of that production and with this ongoing conflict between Russia and the Ukraine on what that's doing to the energy market, is it doing anything? Because obviously... Well, it's just us being lazy and not wanting to work in the heat because it's so hot outside. We're talking with Larry Behrens right now, author of the book Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. He's also part of the Energy Energy Advocacy Group, Power the Future as well. We'll do all that when we come back here. One more segment right around the corner here on a midweek celebration for The Voice Reason. Trying to keep your gas prices low and your utility bills not out of control. What's it going to look like moving forward into the fall time? We'll do some more of that right around the corner here on The Voice Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes on the show. Oh, how it flies right on by. we got so much to talk about in so little time. We're going to do some more of the Mitch McConnell freeze up tomorrow on the show, so don't miss that. Oh, yeah, if you missed it, he did it again, and it was even worse than the first time where he just completely locks up. The weird part is his team doesn't even, like, stop him. They're just like, hold on, we're going to need a minute, and then, okay, you can continue with the conversation. It just locks up for a minute. Don't worry. And we countered it. We countered it live on the air here at the beginning of the show. 30 seconds. Just nothing. Nothing going through that noggin, man. Now, if we're going to be critical of individuals not being able to cognitively do their jobs like we do with Joe Biden, we got to be fair across the board. And Mitch McConnell is in no better shape. It's time for him to go. And I think most people believe that as well. So, uh, Mitch McConnell. We'll get uh, that moving on down the road. we got a few minutes left here with Larry Behrens. He is the author of the book Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. Larry, let's go to uh, across the pond for a minute. Let's go to OPEC. They've said numerous times they're going to cut a lot of their production, maybe with the dealings that they have with Russia. Who knows what they're doing right now? But we continue to gravel to them to try and get more oil when they say they're going to cut their production while we've depleted our oil reserves here because apparently dumping in a million barrels a day was going to save the day, even though we consume like 22 to 24 million barrels a day as a nation. But that 1 million a day for like two months straight or whatever we did was going to save the day for us. Uh, What's our next step here? Because it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, well, let's be clear. Joe Biden has made OPEC great again, has he not? Mm -hmm. He's made it so that, you know, the actions that they take, now have impact on our family budgets. Inflation is already just killing every American family, and so it's going to get worse now. So when they say they're going to you know, cut, it matters. Now, let me just, a, a short trip in history. In November 2016, OPEC did the exact same thing. Maybe it was a reaction to the election, but they said, you know what, we're going to cut production too. You know what happened then? Absolutely nothing. Throughout two, 2017, gas stayed at about $2.70 a gallon throughout the United States, because we had an administration that let American energy workers do their job. And, you know, the left will just keep saying, well, the president doesn't control gas prices and it's a global thing. Well, no, it's not a global thing when you have, you know, cut at the knees the domestic energy production. You have made us less self-reliant. It is clear that that is what is going on when you talk about adding a pittance of, and you're right, the million barrels a day, That is, first of all, that's just strategic reserve. It's not supposed to be used as a strategic uh, political reserve. It's yeah. supposed to be used in times of a real emergency. And now that the, those disbursements are kind of running out, we start to see that we're getting cut at both ends. And, and don't think, it's no coincidence that OPEC waited. They did the math as well. They said the SPR release will be done about this time. That's when we're going to cut. And so we get a one-two punch courtesy of of a bumbler in Washington. Yeah, it is unfortunate because, like you said, I mean, those uh, those reserves are supposed to be for times of emergency. And the concern was back then is if we release this now, if we actually have a real emergency, let's say hurricanes that do actually shut down production short time because we can't produce because of the storms that are going on, or God forbid, another global disaster, another pandemic, another lockdown, something that goes crazy, then what are we going to do when an actual emergency hits? And now, We've kind of run out of choices. We've run out of the reserves, or at least we're getting down to it to where we don't want to use those anymore. We're not bringing in more oil. The gas prices are now going up, and now we're kind of SOL. We can't do anything about it. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, Joe Biden has pushed us so close to the envelope that we're watching hurricane season and sadly saying, oh, thank goodness it's Florida. You know, a, a huge percentage, and I'd say near 80 percent of America's oil refining capacity is located in the Gulf Coast. And it's pretty much around Houston to New Orleans is where you're going to find a bunch of it. One well-placed hurricane there, and we are already then going to compound interest of the stupid decisions that Joe Biden had met. And it, again, it's a great racket for the climate cult, right? Because then they get to say, oh, look what, you know, climate change did, brought us a hurricane during hurricane season, lo and behold. And, you know, they ignore the fact that actual hurricanes are down over the last decades. And so then they and they also then do not, as we've talked about, build extra infrastructure. Why not have some refining capacity outside of the Gulf Coast and with lower prices and give us more flexibility strategically when things like this happen in geographic isolated areas? It is unfortunate. It is Larry Barron's author of the book, Sabotage, How Joe Biden Surrendered American Energy Independence. Only we're out of time, my friend. I could talk to you about this for hours because it is an ongoing issue that's not going to get any better anytime soon. What we really need to do is we hopefully we can ride out until election time when we can hear the terms of drill, baby, drill all over again and get us back on track. But it's going to take some time to actually get that done. Larry, it's so good to talk to you, my friend. we got to do this again real soon. Thanks, Andy. No matter the temperature, you're always cool to me. Appreciate hey, it, man. There we go. Love it. Yes. We'll get you back on, especially when it starts getting cold again. Because guess what? Here, in a few months, here's my prediction is the crystal ball of the voice of reason. It's going to get cold in a few months. And it's going to be because of global warming or cooling or acid rain. Or maybe it's just climate change because we don't know what's going on. So we'll just kind of play it by ear whatever they tell us it's going to be. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. Be your own voice reason. This is the voice reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.